Hey, listeners, it's time for another episode of the Novel Expressions Book Club. I'm Natalie, the youngest sister. I'm Jess, the middle sister. I'm Pam, the oldest sister. And I'm Nancy, their mom. Today, we're discussing another book by Kate Quinn. I think this was maybe one of the, the first book we read by her? Question mark? Uh, I feel like maybe the Alice Network first. Mm, that sounds right. That sounds right. Okay, so we're not discussing the Alice Network. We are discussing The Huntress, so not the first book we read by her, but one that we love to talk about. We love this book. Yes, so. I think we referenced it in another book talk. Mm-hmm. I believe we did. That something reminded us of this, and that kind of got our wheels turning. Yes. It was the scene on the bridge, the beach, the water scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The lake scene. The lake scene. Thank you. So let us begin. Well, I don't think we should start this without talking about something that I just find to be so true and something that kept coming up in this book. Um, Jordan kept referring to her wild imagination that her father used to accuse her of having. And I think it speaks to something that most families do. We continue to believe something about a family member that is no longer true. They've outgrown it. They're, you know, they've changed, whatever, is, whatever the reason may be. And I think it's not just family who does that. I think when you are in a relationship in a, for a period of time with anyone, whether it's a friend or could be a family member, could be a coworker even, you see that person in a set way and you never let them live down any mistakes they've made, any dumb things they've done, and you continue to treat them as if they haven't grown or changed at all. So listeners, every time you've heard my sisters talk about me chasing Jessica around the dining room table or being a crazy child, you will understand how I feel. I very much agree. And I even wrote preach to what you had to say, mom. I think that's very true. I also think it sometimes can be true in like a reverse type of way. Like I feel this personally where I've worked with someone for a very long time and I have a much different like working relationship in terms of my role and their role now than when I first started working with them. And sometimes I find myself getting stuck in the mindset of like, I'm in a more junior position or I need to be like more, I don't want to say subservient, but kind of to them compared to the position that I'm in now. Yeah, that is, that's tricky and interesting at the same time. I could see where that would, might be hard for your brain to kind of wrap itself around. Yeah. Let's go back to you as a kid. Great. I want you, I want you to take a weekend one time and just um, binge listen. And I want you to see if I really am the one who says those things about you. Because you definitely said sisters. You're right. You're right. It's really Jessica. She's always been the instigator. I also... What am I doing right now? And mom. I mean, That's if we're honest here, mom says That's stuff. true. And I also want to point out to you better than me since I raised you. True. And just because you may not necessarily be like that now does not mean that we're lying on you as a child. You a hundred percent were like that. But I that will say that she no longer gets things from our bedrooms to give to us as gifts. So she has grown and changed in that respect, hasn't she? Okay, but you know a way that Jess has not grown and changed? She never gets rid of anything because that sweatshirt she's wearing right now is from my freshman year of college. That is true. Uh, 
I'm that just was saying. ages ago. Ages. Uh, over 10 years ago. Yeah. And she has like a super proud smile on her face right now about yes. that. <laughs> I'm surprised she's not wearing like this. her Dairy Dr. Queen hoodie. Pepper. Or my Dr. Pepper pants. You're right. <laughs> okay. and so I'll just say that whatever we might have thought about you as a child, I mean, I definitely don't think that now. Like, I think you're fabulous. So. So true. I'm just saying. All right, you can Good thing we're recording. I'm going to snip that listen, little audio. Right. Stuff, but <laughs> listen to that. Yeah, listen to that and go back and listen to hear if I was the one saying those things about you. Right. I think you know better. Yeah, and I got to admit, I had my doubts through the years, but you did turn out pretty doggone fine. And of course, that was probably because of your great parenting by your mother. So I'll just pat myself on the back right now. I co-parented. Let's just remember. <laughs> Every time my, anyone compares my child to me, mom's response is, Oh, but she's a much better child than Natalie was. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> she does. That's true. But it is true. She is a much better child than you. Okay. <laughs> Moving I mean, on. It's still early. Right. Oh, she's right. like two. Still early. <laughs> Great. All right. I'll bring it back to the characters in the story. Perfect. So going back to Jordan, I think what's so sad about this is because of the way her family saw her, it made her second guess her gut instinct almost the entire novel. And if she hadn't done that, things could have been solved way earlier. And maybe, you know, things with her father may not have happened. And uh, Annalise maybe wouldn't have gotten so ingrained in their family. And just as awful that that happened. And honestly, the whole reason why she had a wild imagination in the first place is because nobody would tell her what was going on with her mom. And so in the absence of information, she decided to create the information herself. If they had just been honest with her, and I know that, you know, there were lots of different schools of thought at that time period in history that you didn't tell children hard things. But if they had just found a way to tell her what was going on with her mom, she would not have had to create all those uh, stories about her. I mean, so people do that now. Oh, I know. You're right. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, but I, yes, it was maybe more like you don't talk about it then, mm -hmm. but I think people do it now. And that's exactly what I was thinking too. They created that. By the way, I love her imagination. Mm -hmm. um, I love how she talks to herself and calls herself Jay Bride, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I think that that was a lot of it. And it really makes you think about what we tell and don't tell kids. Mm -hmm. My youngest has made me think a lot about the things we say and what kids see and what we explain or don't explain because he's so black and white that it's like important to spell it out for him. But I think that would be really helpful with lots of kids, you know? Yeah. I think we make a lot of assumptions about mm -hmm. whether they're ready for something when they may or may not be ready or more than ready for it. And what that they already know why we're doing something, even though they, how would they know? I think right. you're absolutely right. Yep. The other thing I wanted to ask you ladies about is, did you find as you were reading um, that there were so many parallels between Nina and Jordan? Their father's words were constantly in their heads, kind of haunting them, um, often to their detriment. And they were both searching for their place in life, trying to figure out wh where did they fit? You know, Nina is far away from her father as she could be as far west as possible. And then just both of how both of them loving so passionately 
the people that they loved. They also both were kind of trying, like working, I guess you could say in male, more male dominated fields, right? Nina was a yes. pilot. Um, Jordan, yeah, was doing photography. Mm -hmm. Very true. And both very independent in how, you know, how they wanted to live their life. Yes. And yet knowing that there was a mindset that they should be doing something more traditional or something that their families expected them. Even Nina, her dad expected her just to be a whore. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. And she had to break against that, you know, just really fight against that and get away from that crazy man. Well, that's something I wanted to bring up. This was one of those books in the description that I kept thinking, is this for real? is this what it was like there then? Like, oh my gosh, Nina's upbringing in that little town. I, of course, I'm not going to pronounce anything because I'll butcher it. But um, like the way she lived, it was like a camp, like a, like she lived in like a shack at a camp, you know? And then, and then her father trying to drown her, um, all of the expectations that he had. It was just like crazy to me. But what I will say is it made her wildness, I guess I'll say really believable. You know, so the things she did in the plains, the, the end scene that we referenced earlier, the lake and the bridge, you know, the way she came out of the water, like that all was more believable when it was taking place in the 50s, you know, late 40s, early 50s, because I knew what her upbringing was like. Otherwise, I'm going like, it's like back to like, I don't know, Beowulf time. I don't know. It just had this crazy old feel to it because of the way she grew up. Wasn't it amazing that when she had the opportunity, she did not kill her father, especially since he tried to kill her. I mean, wow. Yes. The thing I really loved about those opening parts where she was talking about her childhood is the matter of fact way that she explained how she lived the things that her dad did to her almost as if they were normal because that's what that's all she knew and it made those parts and it made her dad so much creepier to me as a result of that and I just felt like that was such a good choice on Kate Quinn's part to kind of develop uh, Nina's voice in that way yeah I agree. yeah oh, and I think like almost like because she just didn't know she didn't know any other way like that it was just matter of fact just like the same way we would talk about how like we had you know toys out of the garbage at the time it was happening it was like this is what it is and we play with a piece of wood on a rope like that's childhood yep. now we look back and we're like well not everybody had that childhood. but, that <laughs> but was it was great childhood. Yeah. yeah it was it, it totally was and it wasn't because you guys were so poor. It was just because you guys were innovative. Right, right. You could Absolutely. Make it into sure. anything else. Yeah. Um, also, I feel like, thank goodness she did have that childhood because she had a crazy like situation she found herself in after having to basically defect from her sestras. Is that how you guys said it? Yeah. Sestras? Um. And basically crash her plane, like when she ran out of flu uh, fuel and then survive through enemy territory going somewhere west, like not, didn't have a plan, you know, didn't know where she was going. That's, I can't, I just can't imagine that. Yeah, she was what I would call scrappy. Mm -hmm. 
just a survivor. And you know, it's funny because she had to defect because of her father. She had this great career going. And you know, then I go back to, she had that opportunity to get rid of him (laughs) before she left the frozen tundra of the old man lake. And, And then his big mouth came back to haunt her and ruined her career. Just so crazy. Do we think it was that, or do we think it truly was that when she was face to face with him, not her dad, with Stalin, that she, you know, made the comments she made and kind of wasn't like the, you know, super respectful. I think it was actually both. I think that because she did that, Stalin pegged her for someone. Let's see if there's anything that we need to look at in her family Mm -hmm. that would give us a reason and then when they sought out the of father, there was. of course there was. Yeah. So I think, I think anybody who would be outspoken like she is would make Stalin a person who wanted to control everyone and have everyone look to him as like the salvation of the world would make him think, oh, she would only be outspoken like this if she'd heard it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so he knew that there was probably uh, some, some root to that little tree limb. And he wanted to find out what it was and get rid of it. Yeah. The other thing that I cannot imagine that Nina had to go through is that number one, she didn't love often because she had a pretty bad childhood. But the couple of people that she let get close to her, she felt like were taken from her, like Yelena and Seb. And she feels like she has to kind of keep everyone at arm's length so that they don't end up dying or disappearing as a result of knowing who she is. And I just can't, that's just so sad. And I can't imagine feeling like that. Yeah. And even from like her early childhood where all of her siblings left her basically to get away from their dad. So sad. Yep. So you mentioned her crashing. So I want to bring up, um, many or a lot of the time, much of the time, I should say that I was reading the parts where she was flying or doing anything with the planes or the descriptions or even Garrett uh, talking about the planes, you know, I kept thinking of her last flight and remember how much we learned and enjoyed and thought like how crazy it would be to be in those plates, like planes, like we totally take for granted (laughs) what the planes are like now. Anytime I watch like a World War II movie, or I've seen some kind of documentary, I'm just like, people got into those and flew and felt okay about that. (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, considerably braver than I think I would be. Like wood, cloth, open air. I, I cannot imagine. Like you had to do the little like pumping and hands. And honestly, it's like with the last, her last flight, it's that idea of just being so bone chillingly cold Mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, when they were describing what it was like for them to go out on those night flights, as cold as it was, and you know, if you know anything about Russia, you know that it's ridiculously cold. I just can't even imagine not being able to feel your hands. Oh. And I think the coolest part about all of that is that they were women and that people did not expect them to do as good of a job as they did because they were women. And so they were then named night witches because of the terror that 
they brought on the country. And I just, the whole time was like, yes, yes, you go. You're such a good female. Like I just felt so empowered by them doing so well. And it was easy to feel that way because at that point, Russia was on the U.S. side. <laughs> it was <they> were no <laughs> right. longer on the right side. They're dropping bombs and Jess is like, yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, um, perhaps a contributing factor to why they were able to perform so strongly may have been their little Coca-Cola pills. Uh, what do we think those were? Well, okay. I actually looked Energy. it up. Sugar. Right. Yeah, when I was reading it, I looked it up because I thought the same way you did, Natalie. I thought, did they actually have cocaine in them? They did not. They were, were they? they were amphetamine pills. And they just jokingly called them Coca-Cola pills. So they were speaking. They came from America? Uh, I didn't say that. It just said that they were amphetamines. So What do we call speed nowadays? I don't feel like we call it speed, do we? That's like a 70s term, right? Speed is I Yeah, I don't know if it's really. Um, oh, now it's we call like, it energy drinks. Oh, is that? Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I'm Googling. I don't know. We used to call them black beauties, but I don't know what you guys yeah. hear. I don't hear anything. It's, it is interesting though. When I used to teach psychology, we did the section on like consciousness and drugs and things. And a lot of the drugs that are now a problem originated during a time of war. Sure. Mm. You know, they were created to help soldiers stay up all night or to help with pain or to, you know, and then they became a problem. They became an addiction. Their origin was very, it's uh, like opioids. You know, they, they had, they were trying to help these soldiers. Or isn't that, I mean, isn't that legit how cocaine was originally used was for like medical procedures in the military? Like it might've even been, I, I, I'm a little fuzzy now cause it's been several years, but uh, it, there was one that was created to help break an addiction from another one. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I'll have to, I'll have to look, but yeah. But the, the speed, I mean, whatever it was originally to, to help them stay awake. Mm. You know, they had to be able to stay on watch, you know? Right. Hmm. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but that is, that was. Right. There's that a reason. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so a little bit kind of a weird segue, but um, we were talking about Nina. Um, so after all of that, and after everything she goes through as a uh, Sestra, her set with her, what is she, a night witch, a pilot, whatever you want to say, and crashes, and then everything she goes through with Seb, she meets Ian. And I was thinking about how crazy, like, how they met, how they just, like, decided to get married, even though they really couldn't even talk to each other. Um, obviously, it was totally out of necessity for her you know but that he'd be willing but he had this feeling of he owed her something they get married i mean he sets her up she goes to england all these years pass like they're still married can you imagine that just like yeah i'm technically married to someone he doesn't even mention it to tony that's how like out of his mind it is you know then when they are together then that craziness of kind of really getting to know each other finally um, and then instead of divorcing, deciding, you know what, let's stay together after all. So I don't know. The whole, that one whole thing. Year. Just, He's given him one year. Yes. One year. For the rest of her life, just one year. 
I would say it like blew my mind and cracked me up and interested me because it was like, wow, you really like she was really desperate to get away and he was really I don't know. Like honor um, bound. Uh, yes, yes, that's a good way to say it. Yep. Um, I loved this, like when he was surprised by her too, when she first showed up, like he's trying to like pulling over on Tony, but then like, he's like totally different than what I remember of like this weak, you know, frail woman. So good. Yeah. I really loved their relationship. And I think it's because mom, you used the word earlier that Nina is scrappy. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I have such a heart for scrappy characters like that. And I think because I feel like that about scrappy characters, I was so, so, so in love with their relationship and the way that they were together. And then the, the fact that they, it wasn't conventional. I just, I felt like everything about it was just perfect. I would love to see this in a movie. Mm -hmm. I would love to see, I would, I, I kept picturing what Nina looked like, you know? And I just, I would love to see this as a movie. I think it would be awesome. I mean, obviously it'd be hard to do the flight scenes, but. And they make 1940s war movies, right? right? It feels yeah, like. They totally yeah. could. Yeah. It wouldn't be as good as reading it. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, that's fine. I think it wouldn't be as good as reading it. But since I've already read it, it'd be fine just to watch it now. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd make a good movie. You'd know all the details in the back. Yeah. Yes. Another relationship that I was very happy ended up the way it did was um, Jordan's with her high school sweetheart, Garrett. I'm really glad because I, I know for a while she was fighting it and then she decided to go ahead and, you know, get engaged to him, plan the wedding, all that kind of stuff. And I'm so glad. And I do think Annalise kind of pushed this and this is one way that she was good, but made her realize that Garrett was not the person for her and she broke it off. So in Jordan's defense of being with him for as long as she was, I, I, like it kind of hit me maybe toward like the later part of the book where she was like reflecting back on their relationship of like, she's in high school and then he enlists to go fight in a war and then he comes back and he's fine. And so now they're like, what? I can't imagine being 17 or whatever and like, oh yeah, my boyfriend just like went to war. No big deal. Yeah. I mean, I guess that probably still happens to people today, right? But like, I don't know. It just seems wild. And you know, you guys were talking about Nina getting married um, to Ian. Ian, thank you. Um, but that was a really common thing before soldiers went off to fight in World War II. Is they would marry someone, even if they, even if it wasn't like time in their relationship, or even if they didn't know the person very well, so that if they died, somebody would get their uh, their benefits and such so that someone would remember them, that they could have a widow who would uh, collect on whatever they were due from the government. So that was not really that uncommon. Mm -hmm. And certainly in England, that was actually being ravaged by the war. It would be even more common. Yeah. They, well, was, I mean, and uh, he, the war was there. he was a journalist, right? Not a soldier. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. What right. I felt like was it was all for her basically for like citizenship purposes like yeah. oh and how about how crazy that he didn't even know where she was from <laughs> i guess that's my point it it was more likely to happen before a person went to war or whatever mm -hmm. sure. hers happened as a, a way to help her after she'd been through it 
So, and there were so many displaced people during that time. So many, like we've read books about orphans that, you know, they didn't know where their parents were. And so someone else just raised them. That was so common. Like what Annalise did with. And that's why she was able to get away with that. Yep. And I yep. think that's what made her look more innocent because she had a kid. And who thinks that a, someone who has a kid would do those things that she did? But I think she even that. said that at some mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. like, I, but I feel like everything she did was self-serving. So even her convincing Jordan not to be with Garrett, I felt like she was doing something because I think she was really trying to get rid, trying to get rid of, um, of Jordan. And yes. as long as Jordan married Garrett, she would still be in that same town. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I mean, I felt like there was nothing redeemable. I hated Annalise so much. I distrusted everything she did. I just detested her. And the fact that she would say, when she finally confessed everything, that she would say it was better to kill those children because they were going to starve to death anyway. Oh my goodness. I would have killed her right there. <laughs> yeah, the restraint that they had was incredible. That was something that struck me. Do you guys think it's Lorelei? Lorelei? Lorelei. I think it's probably, well, I don't know. It could be Lorelei. So Lorelei or Lorelei, Annalise, Anna, whatever you want to call her, her ability to lie and her ability to like make it believable, like cry and be upset. I mean, she was such an actress. Um, in particular, I'm thinking of um the confrontation on thanksgiving yeah you know when jordan confronts her about and or really when she kind of confronts jordan about are you looking through my things you know and then jordan questions her she totally puts on a show for dan and then oh my gosh after his accident um which we all know wasn't like she's a mess after that she totally acts like my poor husband. I can't believe this happened to him. And put, uh, she's just. She might've been afraid he was actually going to recover. Oh, she probably had a plan for that. I think somebody even said that at some point. So nasty. Oh, nasty. I, I think the thing that bothered me throughout the story too, and it was mentioned several times by Tony or Ian or um, even Jordan, was that idea that people who were part of that horribleness of the Holocaust and the Nazi regime always justified what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They always said they were just following orders and therefore they shouldn't be held responsible or they were doing it because it was better that to kill them than to have them mm -hmm. die a different way. And it just, uh, it, that just infuriated me. Well, and Annalise can't even like claim that, right? Cause she's still killing people. Like, right. right. Mm -hmm. So what's our excuse now? Right. right. Not, yeah, she's not following orders. So let's talk about Dan McBride for a minute. Oh, because uh, we, I, I kept like going, like, did I miss something? Like, I really wanted a chapter where I, I got to, I don't know, like, did he know? Do you yes. think? Here's why I think he knew because there's a reference to him like pushing her away in the hospital. Mm. I think he, I think he had been suspecting her, which is why she did it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think he knew when the gun exploded on him, like, why would that have possibly happened? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I take care of this gun, whatever. I think he did know. And that's why he treated her that way at the hospital when he was conscious. 
Yeah, that's, that's kind of, and I was thinking, can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Like he was head over heels for her. Now, the good news is he was getting suspicious. So it probably wasn't like a complete shock, Mm -hmm. but I like just how awful that would be to know that someone you loved, like completely betrayed you like that. Yeah. And then to be stuck dying, knowing knowing she's still with your, like, you can't do anything at that point. You can't tell yeah. Jordan, like, you were right because you're so messed right. up. And your daughter's going to be impacted by her in some way. Yep. yep. And how about the little girl? Uh, what was her name? The sister. Ruth. Ruth. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. To have gone through what she went through and then to be, then Annalise trying to steal her because she needs her to get, away oh and jordan trying to go after her i just i like i was you know like panting with like you gotta find her you gotta get her you gotta rescue her well and then once you know and because this was a second read for us you see things along the way oh that's why ruth is acting like that you know because at first your first read you might legit think she's annalise's daughter you know Mm -hmm. but then once you get to the you go like Oh my gosh, she watched this woman kill her mother. And yep. and this is, you know, why this poor girl won't talk or why she's constantly lapsing into another language, you know, or she's uh, hooking onto Jordan right away and freaked out by her mother, why she is terrified by what kind of blood was it when they went to the lake? Rusalka. Pheasant blood or Oh yeah, the uh, yeah. Like yeah. they, you know, they kill a bird or something. And then there's like some blood on Annalise's hand and she freaks out because of what she witnessed. Yeah. And so it's traumatic. really speaks to what happens to the mind when it goes through some sort of trauma like that and whether or not you can trust your memories and you can trust your mind because of the trauma. That was pretty interesting. So. And my guess is Annalise was running a different story. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. telling her a different Perfect. story enough times that it would hopefully become the the memory. But she also seemed extremely impatient with Ruth. There were so many times when Jordan would say to her, "But what about? This? Oh, she'll be fine." She because she wanted to really make sure that Jordan's Jordan's connection with Ruth was limited, so that things couldn't come out. I loved the fact that Jordan let her get the violin lessons, without without Annalise knowing about it. I was thrilled about that. The horror of Annalise's character is why I felt like that end scene at the lake where Nina purposely cuts her cheek and gets into the water naked except for her slip to scare the crap out of Annalise. It was like one of the best scenes I think I've ever read in a book. It gave me chills even on the second read when it was happening. It was amazing. And you know why Nina knew to do that is because Nina had confronted her own greatest fear when her mm-hmm. father tried to drown her. And she knew that Laura Lee's, or Annalise, whatever you want to call her, greatest fear was the, what do they call that? The witch? The Rusalka. The Rusalka. And mm-hmm. so she knew that if she really wanted to get to her, she had to become that Rusalka. I love that too. It was poetic justice as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. There was definitely, a, you know, kind of a running idea about facing your fear. You mm-hmm. know, for Ian, it was flying. For 
Nina, it had been the lake thing, but then it became like losing someone, you know, uh, getting close basically. And, and just the different fears. You saw a lot of that. For Jordan, oh. maybe it was the fear of not pe people not believing her. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily expressed what her fear would have been or not being able to do what but she, she was really always wanted. afraid that if she said something, people, she had to construct everything. She had to get everything lined up because she was afraid people wouldn't believe mm -hmm. what she expected. And, so. and she was all about pictures. Pictures don't lie. Yep. yep. That's right. Yeah. So after that lake scene, then, you know, they've got Annalise and Jordan basically kind of makes a decision or allows something to happen. Can you imagine um, deciding, okay, go ahead and take her and try her for the war crimes, knowing that that means she can't be on trial for murdering your father. Mm -hmm. And that would be so hard because so often we want like that justice, you know, and she knows it's like one or the other. We're either taking her to Europe to face that. And, and it's not even like a guarantee, like, oh, that's so much worse that she's going to get a lot. It's really not a guarantee that she's really going to get much at all for that. But they also are afraid they can't prove what's happened here. You know, oh, I just think that'd be such a tough decision. Yeah, I think being in a spot where you're like, it's a 50-50 shot and either way you go, nothing could end up happening to her. She could get off completely scot-free. Um, I would like to transition away from Annalise to something else. But before I do that, is there any other commentary on Annalise? Oh, well, I have one piece of commentary. Her whole little like, oh, I must have mixed my facts up for the obituary, like where it wrote that she's from Boston, like, you know, born and raised in Boston. Like, no, you didn't. That's, we yeah. know. We're on I screen. mean, and just the fact that that whole time Tony was working in the shop for her and had no idea she was the very person. Talk about dramatic irony. Crazy. Yeah, they're so focused on cold. Yeah. Um, so this book has something we've seen in a couple of other books, in particular, some of the collaboration novel novels between Willow Williams and White, but um, there are connections between the different characters and different chapters as you flip back and forth between Nina and Jordan. And maybe even Annalise too, but I don't think as much. Um, anyway, there are connections where, like, for example, the white scarf with the blue stars, the Linzer tort that Annalise's mom makes for Tony, and then Annalise is making in, like, the next chapter with Jordan, um, which I thought was really cool, and I very much appreciate when that type of thing happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is smart writing. Yes, it is. Because it does make you go, oh, wait, maybe she, and maybe that is her mom. It makes you think. Mm -hmm. That's so good. I don't know. Did you all read the very end, the article by Ian Graham at the very end? Yes. I absolutely loved the way he wrote about the importance of remembering and how, you know, as time goes on, people tend to kind of forget about the atrocities and what caused them. And as a result, things end up happening, repeating themselves in history because we are not constantly remembering the bad things that have happened. And I thought that was such a great way to get across that point of don't let these things just kind of fade away in memory. You have to remember them 
so that we don't do those same mistakes again. And that's why we have a Holocaust Museum and that's why the Simon Wiesenthal Center was started in California to, to be Nazi hunters. And I mean, that's why those things exist. The Muse National Museum and just, that's why on the east side of Cleveland, there's so many um, places you can go and hear about the Holocaust and, and you know, survivors, there are very few survivors now because it's been so many years. And yet, and it's, not, and it's not just World War II. I mean, there are certainly other things. I think we have to be cognizant of what could happen our, in our country again, like happened on 9 11. Mm -hmm. We just have to be care. We just have to be aware. We have to be alert. I, I think that's why, like, a book like this makes it so much more accessible. Like, if you're not, you know, a fan of studying history or what, you just like can't receive it in such a way, like, having even though it is a fictional you know fictional story the history is still true and it can make it maybe more accessible to some people yes and personal because it's one thing to read in a history book it's another thing to read even though this is fiction but even something like the diary of anne frank or you know and go oh my gosh like this was a real person and this is what happened you know um i used to teach all but my life by gerda wiseman klein and at the time she was still alive and sent letters to my students. And they were like, this is crazy. Like that I read what she went through and what happened to her. And now I got a letter, you know, and that was, it definitely made it, I think a lot more meaningful than just you know, Corey, ten, Corey Ten Boone. Mm -hmm. It was in a concentration camp because she was, she was not Jewish, but she was helping Jew, hide right. Jew, she and her father and her sister. She was the only one that survived her. Both her father and her sister died in the concentration camp. And after she survived it, she went around speaking. And, you know, so just keeping that alive. But she did, but she also did preach forgiveness. You know, she said that uh, one of the places where she preached, where she shared her story, a man came up to her and she recognized him as one of the guards at one of the camps she was in. And yeah, she had a choice to make there. Do I spit in his face or do I extend my hand? Mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to mention, since we kind of talked about the writing a little bit, not only was the historical, the history note cool in that article at the end, but the fact that the book started with an article by Ian Graham and ended with an article by, and it was of course much more meaningful at the end, but then you go back and go, oh yeah, that was what I read at the beginning, you know? So that was cool. That was cool. I like how they, I like when authors do that. The other thing that I thought was going to be really cool was the name Digby was just like niggling at me. And I was like, where have I heard that name? Is it from the Rose Code? Like maybe it was from one of Kate's other books. No, it was from Our Woman in Moscow by Beatrice. And it was ah. Sasha Digby. And the woman in Moscow. Oh, Sasha, yeah. But so no connection um, is the end of my uh, well, story. But it could have been. Russian connection, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually really like when, and this has happened before, when we read something by one author and then we read something by another and there's some event or something that happens or name and it's like, that really shows you the research and stuff that goes in because chances are they came across that name when they were doing some research. Right. And that's why that name ended up in their books, you know? And I love that because it shows what they, that it's truly historical fiction mm -hmm. and it shows what they put into it. Yeah. 
Cool. Anything we forgot to talk about? We said we love Tony enough, right? I don't think we said it enough. So we should I just say love more. Tony. I yeah. did love Tony yeah. as well. I really loved Ian too. I really loved them both for different reasons and in different ways. I just, I, the only, the only male character that I felt really sorry for was Dan. I felt like, ugh, what have you done, Dan? What have you done? Yep. Liked him though. He was lonely. Yeah. I mean, I liked him. I just felt like, ugh. Bad judge of character. Nice guy. Yeah. He was such a nice guy. He loved his daughter but he loved this woman. He was so happy to have someone he could share his life with. She turned out to be this horrible snake mm -hmm. who killed him. Right. In an awful way. In an awful Those way. Those two weeks. Oh my. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Suffering. Just got real dark again. <laughs> but Tony, I was just going to try to bring it back up. I just, he was just fun and honest and, um, sweet and I don't know I just she was you know, very so good charisma. for Gordon when she really needed somebody to be really yeah. good to her yeah. but he was good for a lot of people not yes, just Jordan true. you That's know true. he was really good for Ian he was a really good charmer in their job <laughs> you know he was sweet to Ruth he I don't know I just liked him for a lot of reasons good guy mm -hmm. indeed all right what's up next all right, we will be back in two weeks with The Last Letter from Your Lover by Jojo Moyes. And in the meantime, make sure you share our podcast with everyone you know. Until we read again. Mm -hmm.